The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Rally and Bellator 238 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protecting Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And in this year program, the Protecting Neck Podcast, we break down. High-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because I am recording this on a Thursday night. The wee hours of Thursday night, mind you. Um, because, again, uh, just, just a crazy week on all fronts, but that's not going to be an excuse. We are going to push forward. In fact, let me just pay off a brief tidbit of news before we push forward to the UFC 246 recap, which will be followed by a Bellator 238 breakdown. That's right. Bellator's got a card that's arguably as good, if not better, which I think it is, than the UFC card. That's what we'll be breaking down third, lastly, but not leastly. That's right, UFC on ESPN Plus 24, UFC Rally. Of course, as per usual, we'll be recapping picks and plays at the end, and a double, as per usual, can check the show notes, whether you're listening to this program on iTunes or the smartphone-friendly players over at the hosting site that is Mixed Martial Analyst. Dot com. Check the show notes for timestamps in case you want to jump forward to the breakdowns, to a particular breakdown, or just skip to the very end with the uh, picks and plays. I don't blame you for not wanting to listen to me. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to knock out quick shouts and pay off a message. Uh, quick shouts, I guess, first. Um, UFC 246 recap, by the way, it's going to be very quick and more of a pick space. I'm not going to rehash uh, all the... Uh, story and talking points that um, all the other shows and all of my other colleagues are doing a much better job at than me and you probably heard enough of anyways let's be honest and let's be honest i i my contrarian ass doesn't talk about Conor mcgregor's of the world no more than than we have to uh, especially on a jam-packed show like this however when it's a mcgregor fight week a las vegas fight week it's a great excuse to see my media colleagues and friends and friends they are because you know your friend list tends to dwindle when you really dedicate and you don't take any days off, you know, for years on end. Um, your phone starts stops ringing, and it's understandable. And next thing you know, these people you see on Twitter <laughs> become become people you call friends. And then you, if you work in the industry or travel for shows as a fan, you get lucky enough you get to meet these people in real life. It's a fun thing. Uh, so shouts to real quick to two members of Junkie Nation, in particular John John Rico and Kate Trombley. Different exchanges with them in the last week. Uh, I always love them, anyways, but just the exchanges I have with them make me love them more, and I wanted to share that here on this program. Also, wanted to give a quick shout to uh, last week's uh, guests, if you will, uh, just my friends over at MySportsBooks.com. They're just good people, so I didn't have to mention them, but again, good people, good friends. So I wanted to mention them, so I did. Uh, and of course, again, like I just said, media friends, especially Danny Austin, post media, the Canadian compadres of many of the. Uh, Canada produces some good, uh, many good people, uh, and uh, 
Danny and Danny's one of my one of my more favorite of them. He also has moves up that list because he snuck me a bottle of mezcal uh, from Jorge Masvidal's uh, media event. That's like the one media event I did want to go to, of course, because I like mezcal and alcohol. It's just terrible. I know, um, but I'm really bad at going to media events, and I could, I could, you know, I, 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 I um, if it, you know, it, it'd be good for my career. Uh, believe me, but it's it's funny. Uh, you can't. It, that's why I love when people like accuse me of, uh, or just in general, people a lump in media as one, but then b will like come at me of all media people uh, for whatever things. Whether it's like, do you even train? Uh, like my Stephen A. Smith tweet. Like one person's like, yeah. Well, let's see you hit pads. Uh, can you hit pads, bro? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, not that it has anything to do with the tweet, but yes, I can hit and hold pads because I was actually criticizing the pad holder. And I was actually criticizing Clint Eastwood more than I was criticizing Stephen A. Smith. But you look at the comments, and it's just victorial for Stephen A. Smith, which I definitely am not defending. Um, and I usually don't go for low-hanging fruit, but that was just a funny clip. Um, and I couldn't get the Dr. Evil mini-me pad-holding thing out of my head for one and two. Even though I understand what he's doing, and I know better to get emotional about Stephen A. Smith, just like I'm not going to get emotional about politics. But I just hate from politics to uh, the style of media and sports that's kind of been prevalent and, and represented in an epitome of ways by Stephen A. Smith, um, by the inflammatory hot take media takes. And I really hate that part of the job. I hate that part of our space. I hate what it's doing to our space. I hate what it does to our sport. I hate the bleed over into politics and the models and... And yeah, Stephen A. Smith is a representative of that, and I am not a fan. Sorry, I got kind of sidetracked there, but but yeah, um, people coming at yeah, like but back to that yeah, media events like yeah, like you, I don't know if you can accuse me of uh, <laughs> of wanting to get my face out there, even when it probably would help me if we're being honest. Uh, I, and another reason why I don't is because there's honestly other people that are way better at getting out there and asking the questions. Like, uh, shouts to the dude Submission Radio at Submission Radio, uh, Dennis and Casper. Met them back at UFC 200 and kept in touch and followed their content since and before then. But, man, uh, always good dudes, and I could not suggest you follow their content more. Uh, speaking of other good media uh, people who who, who uh, I, I always love love to see and, and, and will also kill it in those... Uh, you know, press conference spaces. Um, my my dude Jim, uh, Jim Edwards over there, uh, over there from across the pond. Always great to see him. Of course, Aaron Bronstetter. Um, podcasting interviews. I mean, this guy has been around for a while, but really just stepped up his game. And uh, and, and and happy to call him a friend. Um, of course, it was great to see Jose Youngs, uh, who's now with MMA fighting, and Pizzi as well over with MMA fighting. Oscar Willis, who's out here at the Mac Life, it was great to see him. And of course, the Junkie Crew. We had Simon Head from across the pond come out. And Mike Mike Bond, Badge of the Bone Bone, uh, and uh, of course, uh, you know the usuals like John Kenny goes. Uh, didn't see George, but uh, I think he was fighting off the cold like everybody's getting. But um. Uh, anyways, uh, special shouts to, to Ken Hathaway though. And, um, I know we share a lot of listeners, Roadshow, Junkie Radio, Junkie Nation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm sure you've heard, you know, uh, uh, John put out the, uh, the good vibe single for old Kenny. And, and I think I'll just, I'll just, I'll just do the same here, uh, to our, our, our brother in arms over there, um, 
Yeah, and then also shout out to New Zealand radio guys out, Mark, and the uh, the Radio Sport Breakfast for having me on to help recap UFC 246, which I promise I'm getting to uh, as I package up this last tease, which I kind of teased, and I already kind of explained on Twitter, but in case you didn't you know, follow me on Twitter at Dan Tom and May. Um, some news about the podcast, and basically I was thinking about closing up shop on the show for a little bit, guys, not throwing it out, not burning the building down, but just going in an indefinite hiatus, essentially kind of not going to re-get into it, rehash into it, but just uh, between the wares, and, and it sounds so first, which it totally is, like the wares of podcast. But no, I mean, if you want to be consistent and you're doing a podcast that actually requires a shitload of prep, because I don't like to cut corners, and when I do, I'm almost forthright with you guys. Uh, and I will be today for the things that I didn't do as deep a tape study or as much tape study as I usually would do or would like to do. Um, that alone, plus the fact that I don't have a producer. I do all the background stuff, analytic SEO, posting, social media. Uh, no, no, no friends, no co-hosts, no significant other, uh, family member, etc. You name it, right? Um, this is a this is a, a solo pirate ship here, very so, uh, solo as it gets, um, and then plus other life circumstances. Essentially, even though family and those other life circumstances are the most important, no doubt, um, as they should be for you two folks uh, when those things come about, uh, you know, uh, whether it's your family members or the things that that, that come around. Uh, however, I, I just I beat myself up more than I should when I'm not prepared, especially because I, I promised you guys, the audience members, a bunch of shit that I've not delivered on for a couple of years now. And I'm just sick and tired of having to explain and apologize and make excuses and be late. And it just got to me, man. I just, the, the progression of the podcast, not, and it's no one to blame but me, because again, solo pirate ship here. So it wasn't, you know, no one to get angry but inward, as I usually do. Um, but um, yeah was really thinking about doing that and even though I didn't throw it out there it's like the, sometimes the universe does work in funny ways uh for you if you allow it and um yeah man just just got a lot of nice words and kind words which is the most important thing first and foremost however um I do get donations from time to time that's nothing new but I got a, a really stupidly large one I say stupidly large not because the person's stupid the person's awesome I just say stupidly large because I just I'm trying to be self-deprecating <clears throat> I hate asking for things because I don't feel like I deserve things. I didn't even like birthday parties as a kid. I was like, why are people singing me? I don't deserve a, a gathering. Let's just move on with our day. I'm wired fucked up like that. Um, so, uh, but I do want to shout out. I'm not going to give your last name or your message. I'll leave that personally. I don't want to let up your spot. But I will say the first name, Catherine. And your boyfriend, who is also written in. And I've given the shouts on this show before. But Catherine, I, I got your donation. Thank you very much. I don't deserve it. And between nice words from f from friends, listeners of the program, colleagues of mine, to donations from strangers who have just seemingly become my friends through this microphone, um, you guys can you guys convince me to push on uh, with this thing. And um, I know I'm not going to be everyone's brand of coffee, and I'm not or tea or whatever the saying is, and I'm not trying to be, and I will never try to be. However. I do realize the faults that I have of many, and I do promise to continue to keep trying to better them and do a better job of keep trying to better them, like because I've already have been trying to better them, right? Um, for you guys, and also I only bring up the donations not because it's 
an awkward roundabout way to 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 to, to, to plug something I don't plug enough. Um, but just I also wanted you guys to know that whether you guys donate a dollar to a bigger amount, um, like Catherine, it's all appreciated and it all the same. It, for what it's worth, doesn't just go to me. It goes back into the show. In fact, I'm using one of two pop screen adjusters right now, and um, I have a couple other things that I, I didn't get a chance to install yet, but I kind of threw in that Twitter post. Um, because, again, even though I'm, I'm late on things like the YouTube and accessibility, it is coming, folks. Uh, you know, got, you know, whether it's small things like the pop screens and the microphone arm for, for, for the mic, uh, or the desk and uh, the desk and uh, new chair because I've literally had the same desk and chair for literally a decade uh, that I bought recently. The appointment that I got coming up with Mac to po possibly do some serious swapping out here, whether it's uh, some software that I'm having trouble updating because I've got one of those phantom memory problems and I'm trying to. Uh, Apparently, if you update to the current operating system, the High Sierra, whatever the fuck it is, uh, it erases that. But I don't even have enough memory to do that. Like I'm like having to find stuff to delete every week just to record this podcast, folks. Anyway, point is, I'm going to be doing some software updating, possibly even some hardware updating, too. Um, the room is getting cleared out, like I already said. Uh, things are being bought. Things are, are being put in motion. I, I'm not abandoning things and whatever you guys have sent the, this podcast away Believe me, it's going. There's a lot of things I still got to get, so it's going. It's going somewhere. So thank you guys. Um, I've already spent too long that I wanted to. We're gonna move on to a quick UFC 246 recap. Again, check the timestamps. We went five and six in picks. It was awful. Again, I didn't do a great job of tape study last week. Not that it's an excuse, although I'm gonna use it as an excuse because I did state it beforehand. Uh, one and two in straight plays. Ooh, ouch. And man, our parlay piece, Hack Pro. This week on Hack. Uh, boy, boy, did that go <laughs> that, oh, boy, hold on. Sorry, let me get this egg off my, 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 my face. Uh, so yeah, let, let's, uh, let, let's break that down right quick. Uh, of course, Conor McGregor, 42nd win for Donald Cerrone. Uh, the shoulder strikes, all that fun stuff. Um, Casuals thinking it's a dive. Stephen A. Smith kind of already covered in his backlash, which has been clear. Uh, we'll see what Connor does next. Look how fast of a recap that was. Holly Holm defeated Raquel Pennington. Told y'all this was going to be boring. Told y'all this was going to be boring. Um, I don't know how much. I can't, I'm getting confused what I said here, what I said at the uh, the B-dubs, Buffalo Wild Wings meetup with the Junkie crew. But um, I know for sure with the Junkie crew, I was telling them, I'm like, this is going to be a boring fight, guys, because it's... It's going to be a home tasting just enough of Pennington's right hand to stay away. And there's going to be a ton of clinch work. And it's not going to be fun. And I did actually, I did say that on this show too. So yeah, it's what it was, folks. But, uh, you know, last time Connor and Holly uh, main and co main in Vegas and for favored to win, it didn't go well for them. So at least they got the wins this time, you know, for those camps. Sexy Alexi Olenek defeated Maurice Green. Do you mind if we dance with the old dates? Maurice Green, of course, the guy who uh, probably recrushed my freshly uncasted hand because I gave it to him as a mistake. It's like, yes, smart Dan. Um, but yeah, uh, 
he put up a hell of a fight, man. You got to give Green a lot of credit. Um, wasn't exactly like I broke it down, although the results and it did kind of end up going that way, but with a lot of admirable resistance from Green, he just uh, that was just always going to be a tough fight for him to win at this experience level. Brian Kelleher defeated Ode Osborne. Um, I'm glad I didn't play it, despite thinking, I'm much less suggesting you to play it, despite thinking that uh, and picking. Ode Osborne because I thought, you know, he just had all the the markings for what could be a bad matchup for Kelleher. But again, like I said on this podcast and on Twitter, happy to be wrong about that one. Um, always got love for uh, Brian Kelleher. Who did I see today? Remind me of Brian Kelleher. I don't know. My brain's going, guys. It's it's been a long day and all. Yeah, not not sleeping too much with the pup who is thankfully sleeping right now. So we. we got time to podcast it's another reason why i push her to do it at night i i didn't want to be late again as i just explained i hate doing uh but also um the pups up and crazy in the morning it would have been tough to do this anyways push forward oh god did i really pick anthony pettis yep diego Feira defeated anthony pettis um in my defense just like my last anthony pettis pick i usually don't pick him i'm not even a homer of him it's not like Oh, let's maybe the old will shine again. Like, no, I just, I, I just thought that this was one of those matchups that he would kind of somewhat surprising win, and and um, you know, the openings would be there, and some of them were there. He just wasn't able to capitalize on it. And in my defense, I did say even though I'm picking him to win, like not only if it makes it to the mid to end of the second round will Pettis lose because it's a pressure fighter. Um, because again, folks, I didn't. I wasn't blind to like him being bad at pressure fighters. I just stupidly picked against it. <laughs> There's a difference there. No, but what I did I, in my defense, though, I did say like not only would he lose if it got to the mid, mid to end of the second round, but like things on Pettis would be broken because it just happens. But Fajeda just fucking subbed him, and I didn't think he was gonna sub Pettis, so I was fucking more egg on my face on that one. But happy for Diego Fajeda and. Um, yeah, that was a honey trap I fell into. Hopefully you didn't fall into it with me, and you were smarter than my dumb ass on that one. Um, I'm sure we all felt a bit dumb on this one, but again, I'm not saying it to like cushion the blow. Like I genuinely mean it, whether it's like uh, Brian Kelleher, or more especially, more so, Roxanne Montefiore, who defeated Macy Barber and Bucky Barber's ego <laughs> via unanimous decision. In a fight that, according to Bucky Barber, I think like uh, Macy didn't lose a minute of or something. I don't know. I didn't even bother to look into that, by the way. I'm just like, oh, God. The egos are out of control. And for whatever immaturity you can sense from Macy, boy, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And um, over-abrasive parents in sports are cringy in general, but in fight sports... There's something extra cringy about it because there's so much more on the line. And that's the scary part. Anyways, uh, happy for Roxy and her legitimate win. Sadiq Youssef defeated Andre Feely. I thought, uh, you know, Feely was going to be able to take this one. But, man, Youssef super impressed me. Just that get-up ability, the ground game. We talked about it, you know. He hinted at it. We've seen hints at it before. Um, I did give him credit that it was better than what I'm sure what we think, but we, I just didn't know how good it was. And 
we still don't fully know, but that was a nice glimpse. I really liked the, the decision making, the things he was doing. Um, I didn't like that he was coasting in the third round. I was with people there. You know, Dan Tom always looks to, to fade people like that. But I almost give Yusuf a pass, not just because the first two rounds were so damn impressive, but because he was dealing with something. Something happened, and he wouldn't say what. He didn't want to give it away, but essentially it was an injury. Uh, I didn't go back to rewatch the presser. I'm sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was in there. Um, I just got that just from talking to. Um, I think it was John John Morgan on Monday when we were shooting uh, shooting our our prediction videos, and he said, "Yeah, he didn't want to give it away, but something something happened between round two and three. So, um, I suggest holding off condemning Yusuf's gas tank. But great performance, otherwise." Askar Askarov defeated Tim Elliott. Um, my mom was watching that. And she was really happy because she speak. Uh, she not speaks. <laughs> she she signs fluently. Uh, a lot of deaf people in my family. So uh, Drew Dober. How do you not be happy for Drew Dober, man? That's another guy that's like legit happy, even though he he sunk he sunk my battleship. Hack. But man, uh, Hack couldn't even get going. Just threw that damn naked kick and got countered down the center, and that was it. And he had the fucking. He's dead. He's dead already. Uh, bad late stoppage from old Mark Smith, who uh, refed one of my um, amateur boxing uh, matches there. Um, sorry. Alexa Cameron defeated Justin Ledette. Um, Justin Ledette looking like fucking... <laughs> Someone's like fat game bread Mazda doll. I was gonna say special game bread Mazda doll, but speaking of special, fucking Alexa Kmore. Alexa Kmore to me, like he looks like one of those guys, like in like some 1920s or 1930s mob movie, who like you know the crime family brings in in the late second, early third act for extra extra protection. Hey, this is my nephew Giovanni for extra muscle. Hey. Hey, I'm here for extra muscle. And you're like, oh, this guy's going to fucking die. Like, that's who Alexa Kamor looks like. I know that's a really specific uh, characterization. But I like the less, uh, the more to the point one of uh, Smoogie on Twitter who uh, who essentially called Alexa Kamor Simple Jack. <laughs> no, more stupid. Uh, but he beat uh, Justin Ledette. And Sabina Mazo, shouts to Kings MMA, John John Rico and the crew over there. Sabina Mazo pulled this one out. I said she was going to have advantages in the clinch and at distance. And man, when she really figures and matures, she's going to be fucking tearing people up in that fucking clinch. However, um, JJ Aldridge did show she could offer him boxing range, but ended up siding with Mazo in a tight fight. And uh, congrats if you got that dog money. All right. What time is it? 23. Let's go on to Bellator 238, shall we? Less edits, the better. I think I can push forward. Excuse me. As I pull it up, it's going down in Inglewood. Inglewood, I was up to no good. Headlined uh, by, of course, Cyborg Bud, the co-headliner, Featherweight Grand Prix matchup between Borix and Caldwell, both of which I have in-depth write-ups at MMA Junkie for anything uh, my late-night-ass misses here uh, on this show. As uh, as I pull up the odds there. All right. Gotta scroll down for these bad boys. We got 
Chris Cyborg currently listed at minus 445 with the comeback. Julia Budd plus 335. Um, man, I-, I picked Cyborg, but like I said, I hate using the word value. Like, uh, shout out to Joey Odessa. Um, you know, it's a dangerous word to use in this game. But yeah, the value is on, it is on Bud. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a closer fight than a lot of people think. And even if you think it's going to be a closer fight or you think Bud is live or you're picking Bud or you're not, I think the common thread is that if Cyborg is going to win, our best bet is inside the distance. And that very well may be, Jacob. It very well may be. Sorry, going into dust till, from dust till dawn there. Dan, get George Clooney out, out of here. Um, but it very well may be. But I actually pick Cyborg by decision, which is the more potent path for Bud. And I concede that in the breakdown. Uh, I think it's going to be a much more competitive version of uh, Cyborg versus Home with the decision win here. And, you know, it's funny. Home, everyone's talking about Home's uh, steady evolution into a gr- uh, from a striker to a grinder. Like, Julia Budd's been doing that. Like, she wrote the book on going from striker to grinder, son. Like, if you've been following her career for the past decade, like, she came onto the scene doing that. Uh, she came onto the scene deceptively well-rounded already with her counterpart, recently married back then, I believe, to Lance Gibson, still then Vancouver's Gibson MMA. Um, and, um, yeah, so between that and then, like, you know, getting knocked out by Amanda Nunes, like, she really quickly became, you know, she suffered a kind of a, you know, she, you know, just like, uh, Holm was, the, you know, beats the star and Rousey. Well, who was the star before that? Carano. Well, who was the only person to beat Carano and Muay Thai? Well, that was Bud course it was much lesser profile she reaped much less benefits but i'm just saying the parallels there and then what happens after the big win they get a an even bigger memorable knockout loss right um or whether you want to count the choke at choking out misha tate gave her or the knockout to her own head kick that amanda nunez did right whereas bud you know she gets of course knocked out by future goat um, Amanda Nunes, who in that fight, it's great because you hear Moro Ronaldo. This is back in like Strike Force uh, Challengers. And Moro Ronaldo is like, We have a contender for Cyborg. And it's just kind of crazy that it took forever for that fight. It would take almost an, uh, 10 years for that fight to happen and what happened when it did happen, right? Uh, Cyborg rebounded since that loss, of course, to Amanda Nunes that I just uh, hinted at. When she fought Felicia Spencer, and now she is with Bellator going into this fight with Bud. So this is a very meaningful fight. A lot of history, a lot of cross threads here uh, between these two. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, I, I like Cyborg obviously more on the feet. She's got more potent power, but she will be going against a sizable girl who's, you know, a uh, they're both listed at 5'8", but it almost looked like in the standoff that Bud is taller. Um, let's see what the reach is. I think the reach is real similar. It's within an inch of each other, so it's not, like, too crazy. Cyborg at 68 and Bud at 69. So so I think Bud is just, like, the slightly longer fighter. Probably has longer legs as well is why we're seeing that. 
Um, but she mainly targets the legs and body and is a bit more low output of a striker. So I'm not sure how it's going to stack up against the more aggressively layered uh, counterpunching of Cyborg um, and, and her body kicks as well. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to be clinching up and they're going to exchange body knees. Both girls seem to, to take knees pretty well. I think Bud can take knees really well. I just feel like Cyborg is b better at delivering them, whether her back's to the cage or she's the one pushing to the cage. Like, it feels like she hits them just as hard, which is, you know, even a rarity amongst males, you know. Um, so... I still slightly favor Cyborg there, but, you know, shoot. Could we see her with a soft body? Maybe she had a bad weight cut. She looked pretty sucked in out there, whereas Julia Budd seems just like a stone, like a stone, like a stone, you know, uh, just hard as a rock, uh, just chiseled, right? So I, I doubt she's weak to the body. Um, and they both have good top games. Obviously, Cyborg, much more dangerous top game, much more better jiu-jitsu player. Um, but I think the clinch, like I said in the breakdown, it's going to determine who wins and gets to the advantageous spots of those grappling exchanges, possibly who wins the fight. I'm going to take Cyborg. I, I feel like she's going to punctuate enough exchanges and do enough damage, which is what the judges should be emphasizing on to get the win here. And that'll come into play in the next fight, which is Darian Caldwell, your favorite uh, like I predicted in the video breakdown video, because there wasn't odds out. I predicted we'll probably see Caldwell a slight favorite, but money kind of sprinkling in, moving that Borg slime, which it has been moving back and forth. As uh, Caldwell is the favorite minus one twenty five, and Adam Borg's your underdog. Come back on him plus one oh five. Um, I ended up going with Borg's here. I'm I'm just super impressed with Borg's man. I wax on him a bit on the breakdown, but. He just has a perfect meld of like two of my favorite styles. Of course, Kempo Karate, in which I actually, uh, your boy's actually is a legitimate ranking, and Muay Thai, which I'm not as great in, but I love it. <laughs> um, and Borix has a special blend of, like, it's great because he's, he's, he's naturally athletic and explosive and puts natural martial artists, more importantly. And he has that karate distance management and leaping and, and just distancing ability, but with the Muay Thai power stance and snap. Um, and it's just this beautiful meld. I really like it. He doesn't get too flashy, even though he loves his launching his flying knee where he you know, launches off the power side from the right to punctuate with the lead left side. It's so beautiful. He's knocked guys out with that in Muay Thai as well, where I believe he's undefeated in Muay Thai, undefeated as an amateur. And uh, still undefeated uh, in MMA. He, he can't stay undefeated forever. On paper, a guy that can control him perhaps can do it. But if you look at his record, I think that, that guy Tokolov or Tok whatever his name is, like he, um, that dude was like a Bulgarian wrestler. Um, and we got to see some of uh, Borix's chops in that fight. Then he fights Jose Naldo Solo, who has like, Yeah, Teodor Nikolov, who is like the best record that he faces thus far. Um, Bulgarian wrestler, I believe. And, uh, of course, gets him with a flying knee. A couple times there with breeds that level change, starts picking him apart. Then faces a dude with ridiculous experience over him, Jose Naldo Silva. I don't know if Jose Naldo Silva is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I'm just stereotyping Brazilians there, even though he really likes to strike. Um, but either way, he was a much more experienced, uh, guy and, uh, 
was the one, I believe, going for takedowns, but... And he probably edged like two rounds. Um, I think he might have cut Borix, uh, get, beat him two rounds, uh, even got, I believe, maybe even some better of the ground fighting. Like everything that probably should have discouraged Borix in route to that like prospect, that veteran lesson, that vet lesson, the prospect loss. Like it would have been totally okay. But no, he comes back out and um, he. Uh, Gets in on him in a scramble where he really comes to life, and uh, why I'm picking him here, and gets um, Jose Naldo Silva's back. And a little detail I wrote down here that I love what he does is um, Boric's like it's dangerous. Like he, when you go for the choke before the hooks in, it can pay off, but it can still be dangerous for basic fundamental reasons. So uh, Boric actually locks the choking arm. As he's still whipping around to the back. He doesn't have his hooks in. He's still actually whipping around to the back. Uh, but in order to, to secure that arm that is sneakily under the neck. And it probably got under the neck because A, it's a chaos of a scramble. And B, he's not in position to choke. So why would Justin Aldo Silva defend that grip? Um, you know, and of course he is eventually going to get on to what Borix is doing. And knowing that what Borix does before Jose Naldo Silva gets on to him, that the choke is coming, is as soon as that choking arm slides through, he locks it in. He doesn't lock it in with his arm like you traditionally do because, again, he's not in position yet. So what does he do? He puts his head to his head. And he does this a lot for rides too, which is little details that tell me Borix is much better wrestling and, really, and, and, and better grappling than probably meets the eye for most people. But he pins his head to head. And what that does, especially with the glove, is it traps his own arm in there. And and it allows that beat for his rest of his body to whip around, take the back, get his position. And then he's able to release the head on his own terms because, of course, yes, the finishing securing arm to the choke is right there. Now that arm is ready to come in for your traditional, or more traditional, I should say, Rear naked choke finish, like little shit like that, super impressive. And then he gets taken down and controlled by a Greg Jackson controlled, revamped Aaron Pico, right? One of the top prospects and all that. I'm not trying to shit on Pico by saying that, but you guys obviously are familiar with the rocky trajectory for Aaron Pico. And he doesn't get discouraged. Um, he creates scrambles when he can. Uh, he doesn't overdo it when they're not there. And he's patient in those cases. And, of course, when he gets back to his feet, it pays off and hits another flying knee. Because, again, just there's just, I mean, flying knees and knees in general to, to, have been just destroying takedown artists from Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, like I said in my article, um, you know, since UFC 142, whenever that was, all the way till you know, Adam Borks and Jorge Masvidal and all these other knees, you know. So, after that, of course, faces Pat Curran, comes the first person to finish Pat Curran. Sure, it seems somewhat anticlimactic and almost ignominious at a certain point, but Pat Curran did not protest it. You know, he was hurt. Um, and that was super impressive because I felt like, you know, you had all the wrestlers that he's passing those tests, and of course, Darren Caldwell is going to be a complete different wrestling test. Darren Caldwell, one of the best wrestlers the best wrestler in Bellator, uh, one of the best wrestlers really ever, credential-wise. I mean, 
even you know quote unquote world class and world uh, stage wrestlers you know will tell you there's nothing hard nothing's harder than winning a national title and uh, Caldwell did that um, so he's one of the so that makes him automatically one of the best in uh, in and, and mine and many uh, credential wise of course everybody adapts differently which is why I'm taking Borks at this stage. Um, you know, from wrestlers to defensively sound guys that don't give a lot, it, it doesn't seem to phase him. And uh, like I say in the breakdown, you could make an argument that like each guy, Borks and Caldwell, are like the antithesis to one another stylistically, right? Control guy for Borks, like we just explained, although he's kind of passed these micro tests on the way here. Uh, and on the flip side, a guy who is dangerous in all phases and can create scrambles and doesn't seem to get tired uh, and is big for the weight class for a guy who, albeit, is still probably big for the weight class, technically coming up from bantamweight, which is Caldwell. Um, although he'll still have a longer reach. But again, uh, 5'10 to 5'11. Borks is 5'11. Um, and uh, yeah, Borks... I think bigger, stronger than leads on. And he works with big, strong wrestlers from Usman, Michael Chandler, Logan Storley. Uh, and you could tell it's really rubbing off, especially when this guy's forced to scramble. Um, more specifically, he's like from flying knees, rear naked chokes to front chokes like guillotines. Those are all primarily Adam Borch's ways of finishing MMA fights. And what's the common thread with all those? All those roughly opened off of takedown shots. Again, flying knee, intercepting the takedown, catching a guillotine or front choke off a takedown shot, or sprawling on a takedown shot, catching, missing the choke, but you're able to spin around to the back and scramble to the back and take their back. All of these, so in other words, Adam Borks is not only a finisher, a multi-layered finisher, uh, or not only a finisher, not only a multi-layered finisher, but his specialty and strong points all seem to be predicated around someone shooting in on him. So I don't like that for Darian Caldwell. Even if Darian Caldwell is able to find success, unless he's able to hurt Borks early, uh, I got Borks taking over late in the third, finding his back for a rear naked. Uh, Darian Caldwell gives a lot in these scrambles. It's fun to watch, but he can be caught speeding. He's still going through a camp change. I don't know how that's going. Um, I didn't like what I saw from his last performances as far as pacing progressions as or fight IQ progressions. Like, In fact, it felt like he took a step back in both those departments. And kind of the theory that I, I talk about in the video and the breakdown, I've talked about it more so here on this podcast, so you guys already know. And I use the example of uh, the Darren Wynn versus Darren Stewart. Like, You could be a high-level wrestler, even at a high-level camp, but unless you develop, obviously develop good striking, or really good ground and pound and submissions and ability to keep it within that realm to be able to exercise those options, you will be figured out and taxed as you get to the higher levels. Um, especially today. You can't go back too far to use examples. This is, this is something that's been trending over the last decade, and I think we're really going to see flushed out in this next one, folks. Which is the encyclopedia, the index is really deep. And you don't have to be an outlier like George Champier to understand wrestling or know how to wrestle from MMA anymore. Um, you know, guy, mid to lower tier guys like the Darren Stewart's of the world are showing to have efficacy to their get-up games that's going to make the offensive pursuer work arguably harder than the person getting up. 
so, which brings to the point or the question of diminishing returns. And I think we're going to see, or at least this matchup will force that issue of possible diminishing returns. And I'm going to bet that it does, especially in a five-round affair. I don't like that this matchup for Caldwell. I, I like it less in a five-round affair. That being said, if it was a three-round affair, I guess I suppose it wouldn't matter because uh, I'm still picking Borks by a round three submission. I actually played Borks, too, um, just through a .75 unit on him uh, straight. Again, I play small folks, so don't jump off a cliff with me. But that's what I did play, and I'll probably sprinkle on Bud, too, just because, I, again, out of value, even though the pick is, um, the pick is, is, is Cyborg there. Uh, so I really like those matchups. So I, I will try and spend a lot of time on the uh, on the next ones. Um, we got Sergio Pettis minus two seventy and Alfred Kazakian. I'm gonna be honest. I I did not. Um, I did not look at. Uh, I did not look at this Kazakian kid. Um, although I have his profile pulled up here. Uh, it looks like he's primarily faced, you know, guys with winning records, although he's lost against a lot of those winning records. Although there are prospects like O'Malley, Ricardo Ramos, Juan Archuleta. Um, and who are the good guys he beat? I don't recognize any of these names. That's not good. Oh, Chris Beal. Oh. Eh. Um, Albert Morales. Okay. Oh, where's this dude from? American. Okay. Glendale Fightclub. Ah, Armenian. No! Oh! My Ar Armenian brother over here. Bro. Um, yeah, I, I still feel like they, they want to set up Sergio Pettis with the win. So uh, I actually, uh, I told you what, I, I sprinkled on the dogs here. And I actually blind bet the, the four favorites of, uh, let's see who it is. Don't follow me off this cliff, but the blind that for the four favorites was plus 270, which was uh, Sergio Pettis at minus 270, Archuleta minus 240, Raymond Daniels minus 270, and Ava Knight minus 245. Kind of giving away my picks there. Uh, I love Henry Corrales. I wouldn't mind being wrong if he's the parlay buster. I just, even though Warren Archuleta looked, uh, it was Pitbull, and the counter scared him away more than I realized. Um a la Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway. But still, man, uh, Archuleta still has a granite chin. I've seen him take flush head kicks from right hands. He still hasn't been stopped by strikes. And that is Henry Corrales' one way of winning. So, uh, and it's hard not to see Archuleta, especially wanting to get back in the win column, not getting back to his grappling, which is stellar in his pressure. So um, that's probably why he's favored so heavily. So I put him in that, but my heart's with Corrales. Don't know Jason King, who's opposite of Raymond Daniels. I'm assuming it's, it's uh, some uh, Bellator matchmaking there. I'm just, just saying for what it is. And um, much respect to much respect to uh, you know to, to to Rich Chu. I know it's uh Rich, or, you know Rich Chow. I know it's 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 easy to shit, shit you know to, to shit like oh this is, this is Rich Chu matchmaking and that's something I've said before. For sure, but at the same time, like, we're hypocrites, man, because we complain about, you know, the UFC not building people and just aimlessly putting competitive guys together for no reason and knocking each other off, which I hate. And we complain that we don't get enough building or this or that and what, yada, yada, yada. So, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And don't know Emily Gettys, who's opposite of Ava Knight. Uh, just quickly over the card. Um, 
that was just it for odds. But, you know, you got Aaron Pico making his return against Daniel Carey, who I believe is the guy who beat Gaston Bolanos. Yep, by technical submission, guillotine choke. Um, lost some other fights. It's funny, man. And I don't want to shit on these guys, but, like, <laughs> like as I'm praising Bellator for, like, creating their own prospects, right? Like, which they have. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Like, they also have their own, like... <laughs> They have their own, like, community of, like, jobbers. Like, I'm like, oh, what the heck? Oh, this guy's clearly brought in to lose, 9 and 5. And I'm like, these all happened in Bellator. I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> so they even have, like, these guys that are just hanging out on the prelims, just racking up wins and losses to fond deaf ears. It's fucking great. Oh, it's fucking great. Um, you got AJ, AJ Azagarm against uh, Adele. Atamini um, should be interesting. Uh, see if AJ Agazarm can get a sub, uh, but I'll be rooting for Adele. Uh, obviously, it's hard not to root for that guy in his story. Of course, I believe, or I want to say Iraqi, but he was saved by the military and the Marines, and it was a movie-like story. It's just a great story. Um, so that's interesting. Don't know J.J. Wilson or Mavaro. Don't know David Pacheco or Miguel Neto. Uh, Anthony Taylor. Uh, that has been around the Bellator scene. Uh, it's kind of like what I was just saying. Uh, against Chris Avila. Um, probably want Chris Avila to win there, I'm guessing. Uh, Curtis Melender. Moses Marietta. Familiar name as well. But let's see if Curtis Melender can uh, do better with his second stint in Bellator. Dude, tell me this isn't a cool fucking name. Brandon Bender. Is that like Barney Gumble's brother? Hey, Brandon. Hey, Barney. Mr. Gumble, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Are you just afraid of me? You have a drinking problem. Uh, Brandon Bender. Hey, brother. You hear about Brandon Bender? Uh, yeah, so um, Bellator's got some good stuff this weekend. All right. Moving on. 46 minutes. All right. A little longer. Not, not, not too bad. Moving on to... Or scrolling up to UFC... Fight Night 166, UFC, and ESPN Plus 24. UFC, Rally, UFC, Blades, Dos Santos. Jesus, Dos Santos don't even get the, uh, he specced uh, being the former champion in the division first and the elder statesman. They just, they put the new guy right in there. Well, I guess I'm not giving him too much respect either as I'm picking Blades. Who is your favorite at minus 250? Comeback on Junior Dos Santos, plus 210. Um, familiar styles match, right? Obviously, the comparisons are easy here with, uh, we got Blades. It's arguably a test for both men with the comparisons, because you got Blades at 0-2 against Nganu, who's an explosive power puncher. Comparison to Dos Santos, who's the old guard. Uh, his last loss to Blades looks awful lot like Dos Santos' win over Cain Velasquez, who would be, um, the comparison for... Uh, Blades, however, Dos Santos would, in matches that went went over a minute, would lose, despite still being in his prime. And uh, no USADA era. It would still uh, lose uh, convincingly, uh, dominantly for 10 rounds to the wrestling threat. That being said, especially in the second fight, especially in the third fight, the second fight, Kane scored more takedowns. Nevertheless, 
there wasn't large sustained periods where DeSantos was on his back. In fact, there's never really been large sustained periods where DeSantos has been on his back. Um, because he's very hard to take down. And when you do take him down, he's very cat-like to scramble back up and pop back up. So Kane was having this... He'd, he'd still use pre- uh, wrestling pressure to win, but it was more keyword pressure and against the fence with uh, clinching, striking, and the in-between phases. So we're going to have to... I, I suspect we're going to get a good look at Curtis Blades in-between phases, especially when early on when Dos Santos is difficult to take down. Uh, however, if Dos Santos doesn't you know, make hay with his punches, which he could totally... This is heavyweight MMA, and again, because of the Styles match, what we've seen... Like, he could totally knock out Blades, and could we really be that surprised? Like, no. However, if that doesn't happen by the end of the second round, then I feel like Blades' chances of winning skyrocket, as I believe if he's not already at that point of the fight, he will start to get takedowns by the end of the uh, second and into the third round. But Dos Santos is so damn stupidly durable and optimistic. I see him toughing it out. He could tough it out to a decision, win or lose, but if he's in a position to be showing his toughness and getting, and, and you know he's backing himself into the fence like he normally does, then uh, I think Blades is going to be able to uh, get, get accumulate some hellacious ground and pound uh, by the fourth round, using his pat and wrist control, baby. Shout out to to to, to Benny Abs over there who writes for Fan Sided. Um, Give Benny a follow on Twitter, as I don't have his Twitter handle right. I think it's like Benny Abrigo. Just type in Benny Abs, or go to Fan Sided. But yeah, we were waxing about our love for wrist control. It is the unsung hero, because you guys know I wax about it on this here program way too much. It's my favorite thing in grappling: wrist control, wrist control, wrist control. It's defense. It prevents passes. It prevents chokes. It prevents takedowns two on one. Save your life, son. Or I just love it when he does the wrist feeds. He's making wrist feeds great again. Uh, not to, oh God, oh no, Ma, Maga Danton. Just kidding, folks. I know I'm not Maga. Believe me, believe me. You see the color of my skin? Um, <laughs> but no, Curtis Blades. Uh, it, it's fucking. He is bringing the wrist stuff back again, though, man. Holy shit, I love it. We'll see if he can do it, though. We'll see. Uh, co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos, minus 260. Michael Chiesa, plus 220. Man, is another guy I hate picking against. And, like, he really won me over uh, interviewing him, having him in the studio on Tough. Also enjoyed the Fits and a Fighter um, inter- you know, interview he did. And it's just one of those guys where he's probably like, Dan Tom is the biggest two-faced asshole, this motherfucker won't pick me ever. Why does he keep picking against me? And I was really dumb to pick against him last time. Again, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and pick these old guys to win. It's the stupidest thing in the world. I got to stop myself. I, I did it with Sanchez. And like, Kiesa now is like 4-0 against Southpaws, though. Obviously, the striking dynamic is never key to any of those matchups, much less that statistic, right? Still, 4-0 against Southpaws, compared to RDA, who just dropped his last fight, which was also to a Southpaw. Granted, a very talented one and neutralizing one in Leon Rocky Edwards. But Dos Anjos is 5-3 against UFC-level Southpaws, for what that's worth, folks. 
Um, doesn't matter. It's obvious that uh, RDA should have the striking edge. Although I still am curious, man. Kies is still a growing fighter. Um, although I don't see him having the edge here. I am curious to see if he has any new tools. He knows it's a serious matchup. He knows it's the hardest matchup. He's not selling RDA short. So I'm curious to see what he has in mind to bring to the table. And, uh, oh, God, I was listening to Unfiltered, which I'll, I'll quote something that was funny here because they had both guys on. But you could tell uh, Matt Sarah was a little more on the jiu-jitsu side with the traditional jiu-jitsu, I should say, over the sick jiu-jitsu styles of Kiesa, and he was, like, kind of... You could tell he was really digging Dos Anjos, but it was great because they're talking about a lot about details and stuff. And um, about jujitsu details. And I really liked how RDA sounded confident. And he even said, he's like, don't be surprised if uh, I get a submission here. He really likes grappling against taller guys. And I get that, especially with his power pressure style. And he likes things like head and arm chokes um and stuff like that like against taller guys like if you know the leverage points and you understand them you just beat into the leverage points you kind of cut off those you know you cut off uh those limbs and leave them in extended you know in long guys you got to leave them and or, or hold them and pin them whether it's a pinning uh, it's more of a wrestling pin or pinning as in you know you're looking to pin them down like a head and arm submission style you have to kind of you know tourniquet off their limbs right and if you're a small pressure, small, strong, and very technically sound Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt pressure fighter like Dos Anjos, um, I think he can tourniquet that head and arm uh, in a head and arm choke. Uh, slightly different to the head and arm variation, which was, I believe, a Dars, which was Jorge Masvidal's lone submission win, was, of course, submitting Michael Chiesa. Kiesa has not submitted since. He's submitted legitimate black belts, including uh, Dos Anjos' ex-stablemate. And I believe they're still friends in Benny Benil Dariush. So Kiesa, again, can't underestimate, underestimate him in general, man. He's a dog. He gets after it. He doesn't seem like he's going to run out of gas at welterweight, much less at three rounds. Um, but... Maybe he will if he's taking damage and then not getting takedowns. I mean, we saw how difficult even um, Kamara Usman had. And by the way, I'm curious if this is going to be a guy to ask John. Or who, no, John's not even there, actually. It's uh, Erickson, Matt E. If they're going to be in a bigger or a small cage. But even in the small cage, which is really just advantageous to Dos Anjos, though he, he probably wouldn't want anyways. But he did make it hard for Usman. And... Um, you know, just kind of like what I was alluding to with grip fighting. Uh, if you can control someone's wrist and you don't allow them to connect both their hands or, you know, for a takedown or for a pass, use their hand or, or when it comes to passing and submissions, it's not necessarily connecting their hands, although obviously it can be for submissions. But um, using your, their hands in conjunction with one another, if you if you disable that or disrupt that by just simply grabbing a wrist, two-on-one or a one-on-one -on -one if it's strong or it's a cross-gris. You disrupt takedowns, you'll disrupt passes and submissions. And uh, we see Robert Whitaker does a good example of this, you know, when he'll kind of lift up one arm and that's all he really needs to do. And we saw Dos Anjos doing that to Usman. I could see him doing that to Kiesa to disrupt Kiesa's uh, cage pressure because that's where Kiesa gets a lot of his takedowns in it. Kiesa did note that, you know, Dos Anjos, you have to get him. He he's hard to take down against the fence. He's gonna have to do it in the open. But I haven't seen 
a dependable and big enough sample size. Uh, and I didn't do a huge deep dive into this fight, folks. I'm sorry. I just, I'm familiar enough with these fighters that I can wax a bit here. But I'll admit, I didn't do a, a, a thorough recombing of their fights. But I don't recall Kiesa getting a lot of takedowns in the open. And just the way he was kind of answering the interview, <laughs> it was crazy. Like, sometimes, you know, Matt Sarah's kind of just like, I don't know if he vapes too much before he goes in. He's kind of like, oh, crazy. But, like, sometimes he's, like, real technically on point. And I really, really love the, the questions Matt asks. And he was really asking almost too good of questions to where it was like, I feel like it almost put Kiesa in some uh, uncomfortable spots to where it's like, I don't know. I didn't like the way he answered it as well. So uh, between that and the way they line up stylistically, I'm going to pick Dos Anjos, and I actually think Dos Anjos gets the sub. Um, I got Dos Anjos in a three-leg parlay. Uh, not a for-fun parlay. Obviously, the for-fun parlay was the Bellator one and will be my five main card picks, which, of course, I'll give you, and that equal to 550-ish range for the five main card picks. That's the stupid fun one, though, folks. I did do a semi-serious one with three legs. Again, they're all semi-serious because you can't seriously parlay in MMA. It's crazy, and we're stupid for doing so. But RDA is one of those legs, and I did take um, RDA inside the distance at plus 160. I threw a half a unit on that. Um, by the way, I may sprinkle on Blades. Uh, shout out to at Magic M. I may sprinkle on Blades at round four D-Gen plus 1350 if I uh, have some extra money by the end of the night. We'll see. And that'll be super small, of course. That's just a stupid D-Gen. Sorry, I, I just jotted that down and missed it. But yeah, uh, that's what I got for RDA, and I'll recap that later inside the distance and parlay piece. Um, speaking of parlay piece, yeah, I just buried the lead. Alex Perez, minus 265. Come back on Jordan Espinosa, plus 225. I'll be honest, I didn't rerun through the comb too deeply on this, but I really like Alex Perez here. I feel like Jordan Espinosa is really going to have to hit a home run to win this fight. Um, he is, uh, uh, seems like an, an amazing athlete, Espinosa, and will have the athletic advantage over most guys. He may even be a slightly better athlete than Perez. However, Although, be it different styles, both their styles bind together from their wrestling as their base. Of course, Espinosa, I believe, is state champ there. Alex Perez, of course, uh, has his own accolades, coaches. Um, DC's familiar with him. He's seen him on the scene. He stays active in the wrestling scene. And, of course, MMA fighter who uh, is savvy with some submissions as well. They both actually seem to like the front chokes, so perhaps that might cancel each other out. You know, if you have good front choke offense, you generally have good front choke defense, so unless a guy gets rocked first, I doubt we'll see a submission finish from there. I suspect this one will go to decision, but both these guys can be finishers. Um, I'm going to go with Perez to punctuate and probably hurt Espinosa. He may get him out of there if not. I think he hurts him enough to earn a decision. I'm not confident in the method of victory, but I am pretty confident in Alex Perez. I like his striking better, his submission game better, and uh, his wrestling for MMA, he has more of a process to it, uh, and more of a process in general. So that that price is more than earned. He is the second leg of the parlay, and I just don't think he's a terrible parlay piece in general. All right, next, Angela Hill, minus 185. Hannah Cyphers plus 160. This is probably like the fight I watched second most tape on, sadly. Um, on this card. Not overall. Um, but um, I don't know. Because I just I had to submit picks in. And I just got caught off guard. I didn't have my shit together. And I always hate submitting before I do my research. Because I feel like that puts an unfair bias. 
uh, uh, tint on my pick, on my research because I'm not going to want to change my pick. So I'm, I could be subconsciously doing confirmation bias. At least that's what I suspect that I do because I'm paranoid like that. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I went back and watched my, no, no, I, I picked Angela Hill for a reason. Um, Hannah Cyphers does seem to be getting better. She throws a quiet amount of volume out there. She's also certainly getting stronger and more muscly each time out. She will have the home court advantage in North Carolina. She is a good fighter to bet as an underdog, but I don't think she's, she's going to be able to hurt Angela Hill. Even though she is deceptively strong, the shots she got, like the, it, had, it was like A, the perfect shots, and the girls were off balance kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, Pollyanna Viana, striking's not her thing. And she was already overrated going into that spot, which we all found out, right? Or got reaffirmed if we didn't, if we already knew it. Uh, whereas Angela Hill, you know, even though she lost to Yan Jianan, like you could have made an argument that fight could have gone her way. And she didn't get discouraged with the hard shots she was getting. She was able to hit Yan, which granted Yan quietly has been rocked a bit in her fights, which is something to watch for. Um, and I'm a fan of Yan. But, but Angie's been putting so much together from her counter rights where she stops and plants and throws with her right. I think her knees to the body are going to have play. And most specifically, I think her elbows are going to have plenty of play all day against Hannah Cyphers. Uh, Hannah Cyphers is good about striking off the breaks, as does Angela Hill. They're both good about striking in those small spaces. I just think Angela Hill has the more umph, more leverage, and more consistency to choosing um, to hit those attacks. Uh, they're both improving their ground game, but Cyphers, I don't know if her takedown game is going to be enough to get Hill down, and if it is, I don't think it's going to be enough to get things done. Hill can still create scrambles. Uh, I really liked Hill's, um, what was it? I'm going to write it. She had like a corner lock variation against Yan Nan. It was awesome. It was, uh, and it looked like she was, you know, corner locks it's like a high guard variation where you make it like like you're obviously going for the arm bar and when they pull their arm out to defend the arm bar they put themselves into a triangle and she did a weird kind of setup into it that I have to go back and look at again and try interesting fact on Angela Hill which kind of dangerous because she's a slight favorite even though money's coming a little bit but you can still consider mine in this 185 a slight favorite is that going back to Angela Hill's entire career, she has only won twice when she's at slight favorite odds. She usually loses. And those only two times she won when she was a slight favorite was against uh, Emily Kagan. I think that's her first name. And Marina Morose. So take that what you will. Hey, Brownie. I'm going to pause for my dog. Uh, pisses everywhere. But yeah, all right, I'm back. I'm going to take Hill. She does kind of slow down sometimes in the third, but I don't think Cyphers is, uh, puts it on that heavy enough, and I've seen her kind of uh, pace herself a bit in the third as well. Uh, Cyphers, by the way, you know, deceptive body puncher. You know she reminds me of with like her kind of muscles and clunkiness and the way she moves and body punches? She's like the Rick Story of strawweight. <laughs> Just wanted to add that in there. And also, just before we move on, a note on the previous um, fight. I referenced uh, that uh, unfiltered inter interview 
uh, with both Kiesa and RDA. And I love RDA's because he's talking about how the fight came together. And I love it because RDA is a badass. And he's talking about how, like, fuck the rankings because he's ranked, like, number five and Kiesa's unranked. So, like, fucking go RDA. No one else is doing that shit who holds that high of a ranking spot. But when they're asking him, like, why would you take that fight? He was just like, and I'm not trying to, forgive me, my Brazilian brothers and sisters for my poor accent I'm about to do, but he was just like, you know, we're just waiting for fight, but Kiesa come on table, so I said, okay. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Kiesa come on table? <laughs> that is an unorthodox way to sound, a, you know, to make a fight happen, like, all right, guys, I think we got a fight. <laughs> he come on table. He come, he come hard, so I'm ready. I'm ready for him to come. <laughs> he didn't say all that, but he did say, I just was laughing, I wrote here in parentheses. Kiesa come on table. I was just like, whoa. I was kind of half listening to the interview at that point. Because I'll queue up, like, interviews so I can still do fight research with stuff where I don't have to, when I when I can't, like, physically watch a screen. So I was probably, like, doing something else half. <laughs> of course, Dan's perverted fucking ears. Like, here's, come on table. Yes, come on. Come on table. <laughs> All right, moving on. We got, we got Jamal. Jamal. J Jamal. J J Jamal Hall Hill. Uh, minus 125, who I keep saying, you know, every time I see that name, I just think of uh, Finding Forrester and Sean Connery. Bolt the door if you're coming in. Jamal. Fuck you, William. Yes. I don't know why <laughs> I'm making him sound like a pervert, but he did kind of come off creepy. Wanting that kid, urban kid to come in his uh, apartment. Anyways, go watch Finding Forrester. Jamal Hill faces Tarko Stosik. Uh, who I won't say the old nickname I had for him because it didn't make any sense and it was just very crude. Darkos does it comes in as the underdog with the comeback of plus 105. Dude, this is uh, first officially on the avoid list, even though a lot of this is avoid list, especially the stuff I didn't do the most research on. Um, I did watch their last fights. I even went back and I watched uh, Jamal Hill's first amateur fight. I liked it. I liked the sensibility he was showing in that fight. He was getting taken down, but keeping composed, like showing good get-ups against the fence. That was like back in, I think, 2016. But it's great. Um, it should come up uh, like as one of the only fights that'll show up if you search Jamal Hill. And it's great because the ref has this like this bald guy with this like fucking no-nonsense face that doesn't really change, and he's just like, mm. and uh, they're fighting, and it's like the end of the second round, and uh, I think Jamal Hill just throws a one-two. And it's not that controversial at all, but it does happen right at the end of the bell. Like, it's pretty clear. Like, uh, hold on a second. I hear the puppy getting into things. Sorry about that. Dog was chewing my nightstand. Now I got her with the chew toy. So if you hear that in the background, I apologize. I just can't wait for her to go back to sleep, and I got to get this done. But yeah, anyways, uh, it's not like a CB Dalloway Lombard or Jermaine Duran and me home, which I will argue. Um... The ref was at fault for those. But anyways, neither here nor there. He throws a one-two at the very buzzer, and this dude gets knocked out like Family Guy style. Like, and I mean that like if you watch Family Guy, the cartoon, like they do exaggerated things when someone gets knocked out, where like their arms and like flail behind their back in funny positions, and they're just like they look super dead. Like it's like Korean Zombie, kind of like Korean Zombie. Yeah, you Rodriguez, right? How Korean Zombie was on the mat, except this was like 
almost even more comical, like chalk outline, like in that sense, comical. And it was great because the ref like fucking no sells that it happens. Like he gets in between him, like right after the shot lands and, um, immediately turns his back to the guy that just fucking folded to the floor and then just kind of ushers Jamal Hill calmly back to his corner. Like, give him some space, go back to your corner. And, uh, then he walks over and the guy is just laying there for the longest time. It's the funniest shit. And by the time the ref and the doctors are like literally, literally scraping this guy off the mat, it's like a minute later, you see the ref step back. You, like, at this point, it looks like the, the fight was already clearly called off. But like it's literally like a minute later because the, the bell actually, you hear the bell ring for the time to go back in for round three. And you see the ref come over to the guy who is only now just finally getting peeled off of the canvas. I don't even think he's conscious or if that like he's barely starting to wake up. And the ref just looks at him and just again still kind of almost no selling. He has a then he, he no selling it turns has a grin on his face and then calls the fight. Like what the fuck? <laughs> How do you call it that late after just no selling? I, I can't explain it. Just go and watch it. It's the funniest shit. Like the way the guy falls and the way the ref just walks away and no sells it. Like it's some straight out of Family Guy shit, yo. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm gonna. Take Jamal Hill over Darko Stosic because Darko Stosic seems like a one round fighter and he just falls apart. And we'll just start hitting fouls and weird stuff. Uh, and we just saw him, you know, fall short to a rangy southpaw in a Kennedy Nischeku. So um, I'll take Jamal Hill. But again, like Kennedy or a lot of these Dana White contender series, it's like. It's like, do you guys feel me on this? Is this the thing like we're, we're hearing with contender series where it's like, it's either like, oh, uh, when they win, it's like, oh, contender series guys are pretty good, huh? And then when they lose, it's like, oh, see, contender series guys, they got, they got rushed too fast. And, um, hold on. Sorry, folks. This is why I try to record at night and uh, it's the wee hours of the night and I'm still not getting away of course she's going to start up again anyways it's like you're damned if you do damned if you don't with these contender series fighters like oh they got rushed too fast when they lost which I, by the way I actually agree with more on that for what it's worth whereas when they win all oh, these contender series guys are good so I wrote here like contender series I wrote parentheses hot girl in the room <laughs> hot girl in the room theory like in other words like Okay, like, you know, a 10 is hot, right? A 1 is not. 5 in the middle. Okay, we get that kind of a chart. So the hot girl in the room theory is like, we all love 7 through 10, universally, sure. But, and maybe like, you're like, okay, maybe you have super high standards. You're like, I ain't, I ain't fucking with, I ain't fucking with 4s or 5s, Right? But if those fours or fives are in a room full of twos and threes, those fours and fives start to look like eights. Maybe you have a beer, they start to look like nines. You know, you, you see where I'm going here? <laughs> so I feel like these contender series fighters, it's like the hot girl in the room theory. And I think like our sample size and perspectives, for many reasons, are all fucked up. So keep that in mind. Let me know what you think of that analogy because I think it's pretty fucking true. I also wrote fight pass deals, which I tweeted earlier, uh, as far as, like, Junior Dos Santos. It looked like he was getting, literally getting rape-choked by Francis Ngannou. Like, I couldn't think of a way to make a prison rape joke without, like, 
getting myself in trouble and losing even more followers. Um, and then it also reminded me of the scene, like, uh, this, that still that I tweeted out where, like, it looks like Dos Santos is trying to run away and Nagano's, like, running behind from behind him and choking him from behind. And just, it looks very rapey. Uh, <laughs> but, like... Uh, it rem- also reminded that scene where Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore is running with while, while, whilst trying to put the uh, the master's jacket on, and then you see the cra- the angry mob running after him, and then they do the cut cut cutaway zoom to that mob, and you see the uh, the big construction worker that used to be Happy Gilmore's boss, that big giant guy. Hey, that belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> that guy, and then I wrote, actually, I, I forgot to mention with the. Um, Macy Barber, I, I didn't like that she stole the mic. Even though she said nice things to Roxy, that wasn't her moment. And it was very Tito Ortiz-like. Like, Tito used to always do that shit, and it was so annoying. He would steal the moments at press conferences, questions that weren't his. Uh, I think, like, him and Forrest, when they had their second fight or whatever it was, like, he ended up, like, stealing the post-fight mic, like, similar to how Macy did. I'm like, Jesus... And I bring that up because I'm pretty sure. I mean, I mean, I think Brendan Schaub's probably a good contender, but like, if MMA had a shooter McGavin, like, it's got to be Tito Ortiz, right? I just may. What do you say? How about we eat some hay down by the bay? So I don't know. Shooter McGavin is that, is that Tito Ortiz? Let me know your bet as we push on here. I rambled so long that the odds expired. Um, yeah, but I'm taking Jamal Hill. I'm. I'm going to go ahead and say there's a finish because I think he's going to poke at uh, Stosic. Stosic's going to fire back and either open himself up getting finished or try even harder and gas himself out even harder for rounds two and three and not make it to the end this time like he did in his last two outings. Um, All right, next fight. I think that solves up the main card, though. So uh, if you were to like to, you know, like parlay like those. Sorry, I was on. Looking away, making sure my dog doesn't piss and she's laying down. She's laying down. All right, yeah, that's uh, that that covers the main card. Let's go to the prelims. This one's on the avoid list. Second official on the avoid list. One because I did I added absolutely no footage on it. There's no reason to. And without with that being said, I still can confidently say that there's also no reason why Bevon Lewis should be minus four forty, even to I believe his short notice replacement again. Dequan Townsend, who didn't he like pop for cocaine recently? So I don't even know. But all I do know is I, I can't trust Bevan Lewis even in a full camp in a fight that he's supposed to win. Hence why I've picked against him before and been right. I will pick him here, but the, the, there ain't no way I'm touching that at this price. This is a voidless city, anyways. Next fight: Arnold Allen minus two sixty. Nick Lentz come back on Nick Lentz plus two twenty. You know I've been real hard on Nick Lentz, listeners of this program. You know, sure he called out. You know who was at one time my guy, BJ Penn. But as we know, um, BJ Penn, you know, uh, probably probably as bad of a guy as Nick Lentz. So. <laughs> That being said, it still doesn't excuse Nick Lentz for going like for low hanging fruit. Like two of the dudes he went after hardest was like Gray Maynard and BJ Penn, and like the Gray Maynard one, Gray Gray didn't even do shit like BJ did to provoke it. For one, 
he ended up beating Gray and further concussing and, and furthering his brain shit for two. Then decides to make fun of it for three. And let's just think about like guys who like were just like brain mush and had terrible last decades. Um, Gray Maynard and BJ Penn are toward the top of that list. So when I say Nick Lentz like goes for low hanging fruit, like those are kind of the examples I mean. And then you just factor in other stuff. That being said, he's a very tough fighter. Um, he's a family man, and he's in there trying to make a living, man. And um, I haven't given him a, enough. I know you, you hate you, you, you hate you don't like him either. But still, I haven't given him enough respect um, as a fighter and whatnot. And uh, that being said, I'm picking him playing Arnold Allen, who is the third leg in the parlay. Uh, for plus 150-ish, one unit. That's RDA Perez and Arnold Allen. Um, Nick Lentz has traditionally had his worst performances also against Southpaws. Some of the only times he's ever been stopped is against Southpaws. I want to say he's either 1-4 or 0-4. Oh against notice, notable UFC Southpaws. Um, and I think Arnold Allen can box him up. I think Nick Lentz has a wrestling edge, but Allen can create enough scrambles, and he doesn't give those scrambles and bottom positions enough. And yes, Nick Lentz has a good guillotine, but dude, Arnold Allen has a much more creative guillotine that he was able to get guys like Mads Brunel with, who might not sound like much to you, but I've been really high on Mads, and he's kind of proven me right since he's left the UFC after a premature entry and arguably premature cutting, which maybe wasn't the worst thing in the world for Mats. But um, who was winning that fight until, again, Arnold Allen pulled that guillotine out of his butt. So does that mean he can't get guillotined by Nick Lentz? No, but generally if you are, have a good su uh, submission hold, your defense to set hold is generally pretty decent because you understand the... Uh, the mechanics of it, and you can, you know, uh, engineer and re-engineer it uh, much easier, right? Uh, so I actually like Arnold Allen to outwork and possibly finish Nick Lentz, who I guess is going back down to featherweight. I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, this guy really fucked up his body for a while with those weight cuts um, with Dulce. So uh, according to, you know, his own admission, apparently, you know, so I'm, I'm real to see how that holds up, but I've been real high on Arnold Allen even when I picked against him. Like in the Mads Brunel fight, and uh, East makes me even more of a fan coming through in those spots like that. So uh, I'll go with Arnold Allen here, but again, I'm going to throw a caveat. Even though it is a, a play for me, I do want to throw a caveat to you guys that Nick Lentz is one of the the uh, negative biases that I have, so you all should factor that in there, um, that I, I could still have a really bad blind spot for this guy. Uh, hence my contradictory uh, play to what the words that I was trying to nicely say toward him, which I do mean. He really is an underrated guy and should be respected. So as a fighter and as an underdog. Uh, but I'm, I'm going with um, going with Arnold Allen. I wish Nick Lentz the best as you're on the end. As we know, we can't, as, we, as, as Cowboy and Connor taught us, folks, there's no such thing as good guy versus bad guy in the sport. They're all bad guys, spoiler alert for the most part. Um, not all, but you know. Don't get your hopes up. Lucy Pujilova, minus 165, Justin Keish, plus 145. This is also on the avoid list, so I'll be quick because I didn't do any tape study. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lucia Pujilova, and I'm picking her. But I also like Justin Keish, who, uh, you know, <laughs> Merrick, Merrick. She kind of 
there's a picture out there floating where she's kind of bloody and like in fight mode and she almost looks like uh this is, sounds really mean but she looks like reagan from the exorcist and i think i even put a side by side out there which i'm not gonna float back out there by the way because it uh it comes off as uh it comes off as very rude but uh i always got a soft spot for justine quiche uh who uh Sorry, I keep looking back at my dog, making sure she's not squatting on my bed. <laughs> it was I was ironic because I was comparing her to Reagan from The Exorcist, and then on a breakdown show, like, and then and then she goes and fights Felice Herrick and, and shits herself, and I'm Felice in the fight, and I'm like, that kind of is apropos to the Reagan comparison. And since then, I've been a bigger fan of her because uh, she has a great sense of humor of it. And then when she was at Contender Series. Like she was there for a couple weeks in a row, and I don't know what she was on, but she was just cheering so hard for every fight. Like she knew every person, and she seems like such an endearing sweetheart. So I'm a big fan of Quiche, but I'm picking Pudalova. That was not a technical breakdown. I talked about poop. I'm sorry. Next fight, Montel Jackson minus 650, not Montel Jordan. Girl, if it's all right, let's go somewhere and get it on. All right, Dan, it's not 2000. <laughs> I just dated myself versus Felipe Corrales plus 475. I didn't watch this, and it's just ridiculously stacked odds where you can't play it, though. I get why Montel Jackson favored because he's a southpaw who can freakishly wrestle, get up, and knock out power, can box, counter, uh, and has hands of Francis Ngannou size, so at bantamweight. So, yeah, what's not to like? Let's see where he can go, right? Um, good luck if you're on that freaking chalk. Sarah McMahon. Minus 160, Lena Lansbergen. Uh, <laughs> plus, sorry, plus 140. That's a throwback to me getting really burned, as I'm sure many of you did. I think it was the Macy Shashon fight. Uh, or just shit the bed and Lena. You just watched Lena ran away with all of our money while she was like, because, you know, like, shh, dude, win or lose, her face blows the fuck up and it just burns into my face. I'm like, okay, this girl's not going to win, right? Like, you're probably just going to lose here. And then you're just watching her, like, run away with your money with her bloody, blissed-up face going, Lena Lansbergen. And that could happen here for sure, folks. Uh, especially Sarah McMahon, who can, uh, who can, um, throw fights away. Let's just say it. She could throw fights away for whatever reason you want to speculate that is. Um, the fights that she's dominating. That being said, outside of cardio and outlasting the beating, which Lena Lansbergen could totally do. Um, I don't see her having a big submission threat, hence the zero submissions, I believe. Uh, or even, like, the power, really, to stop McMahon. So, I mean, McMahon really would have to give it away in a quite different way than she has before. So I'm going to side with Sarah McMahon, but I'm not super confident. Nor will I be playing it because I don't want to see my money get run away by. Okay, you know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Um, next fight is also on the avoids list, though. I'll be honest. I may take a shot if a certain gentleman goes to an underdog who was originally favored, which is Brett Johns, who was originally favored. Got turned to an underdog, and now money kind of coming back in on Johns because maybe people like myself agree that even though it's not a confident pick, I, I think he should be favored. Uh, not by a lot, but I, I didn't, didn't disagree terribly with the opening line. Tony Gravely, of course, the opposite 
of this current pick'em at minus one ten. Um, this just seems like a, a, a fight that people want to play because it's not old guy versus young guy, but it is kind of hot. You know, again, hot girl theory. It's the hot girl on the scene. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a hottie off the contender series. Ooh, ooh it's a hottie off the contenders. How's he gonna do? Um, Tony Gravely, <laughs> Gravely. Um, and uh, you know, we so I think people are gonna want to bet this fight, um, which is clearly they they do. And I like Gravely, man. I gave him an A, I believe. It was really impressive. Very athletic. A lot of power. Um, if he's closed up his submission holes, it's gonna be doing really well. And you know, how many holes does he really have? I mean, he only lost. I mean, he's really only lost to, to, to quality dudes for the most part. If I do uh, say so myself, we'll pull it up here. Gravely. Um. Yeah, Patchy Mix, Manny Bermudez, Marab Duvishvili, Ricky Bandejas. And you got to go all the way to Pat Sabini, which was his very first loss. But, yeah, um, you know, so did, did he learn off those? But also, you know, even though he's got some good wrestling, Gravely does, uh, John's, despite being judo and jiu-jitsu, now he's jiu he has recently got his jiu-jitsu black belt as well, so John's is judo and jiu-jitsu black belt. He actually has some underrated wrestling, especially against the fence. And we've seen Gravely taken down and taken down against the fence. He, he's one of those guys, just because he's a wrestler, doesn't mean he can't be taken down. He, he, he's still susceptible to the takedown, which is what worries me. And not only that, could I see John's pressure, which I'm actually going to take John's by decision. I could also see John's catching an opportunistic submission, you know. Um, he, he's hit guys, respectable guys like Joe Soto with leg locks, which is like Joe Soto is supposed to know that stuff. Um, and Brett Johns was still able to hit him with it. I just think he ran into really tough matchups on two guys who I see coming for the title in Pedro Munoz and Aljo Sterling. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are his only two losses ever? Okay. He's had a lot of time off. I don't know why. Um, which probably was a good thing, though, because he took a lot of damage, especially in that last loss to Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz. Munoz. I don't want to say, like, Bisping, but... uh <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it took a lot of damage to that. So maybe it was a good thing. He's still young. Um, he's not a, a, as athletic or as strong as Gra Gravely, I'm guessing, but I've seen both these guys in person and Johns is the bigger man. He's deceptively big. He doesn't look strong or imposing, but he is deceptively big for Bantamweight, taller and more of the tall sense. And, uh, you know, he's no pushover either. He's got a ton of heart. Um, looks like he's been working on, uh, his striking um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Gravely's first UFC fight, I believe. So I'm going to take the more proven chromatomy. And I think the lion was right. Um, I'm going to put it on the avoid list because it really is a close fight where we should just sit back and enjoy it. I don't know what it is about these fights. Maybe because it like, it is a fun fight. And again, plus the hot girl factor, like people just love betting on these fights. And I don't know. I, just, I feel like some of these fights are just better off enjoying, you know? That being said, will I probably sprinkle because I don't have a lot of straight plays? Will I sprinkle probably on John's if I see a plus money? I may. I definitely may. But uh, it's on the avoid list officially, folks, for what that's worth because it's close. And the pick is John's by decision. All right. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have Nate Landver, who actually opened as a favorite. I thought he got pushed that way from, like, low-key po internet popularity that's been slowly growing. Uh, whether it's guys like shouts to 
Lord Honky Humongous on Twitter. Good follow, putting out clips. Or if I don't say so, guys like myself and Junkie Radio who have been covering Nate Landwehr since he went to M1 and been started upsetting these fools. Um, who was low key, and I've always said this, been like one of my favorite interviews because I had no idea well, who the fuck is Nate Landwehr, Nate the Train, and I'm like, oh, this guy's fucking awesome because his personality bleeds through. You can go read, uh, go go watch. Like his promos are hilarious. Like I, 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 the first fight I watched of his, which is a great fight to go rewatch, and I went back to rewatch it, which was uh, Kozelnik uh, one, Victor Kozelnik one, and I, I for, totally forgot the promo. It was great. They did this promo, and it's like and it's actually the you know. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make fun of my Russian brothers and sisters, but it's doing the subtitles, and it's like. He's loud, strange guy, typical American. And I'm just like, this is great. <laughs> it shows Landwehr, who is like amongst like Nate Landwehr, man. I mean, he's amongst like the southern fucking, the southern invasion. And I mean that in all the best of ways from my southern brother, my hospital, love and southern brothers and sisters down there. Um, you know, and then, you you know, he's amongst us a wave of these crazy cat fighters, though. Like, uh, again, what's his name? Lobo, Jason Knight. Bryce Mitchell. Now you got Nate Landwehr, who's my favorite of the bunch. Uh, real high on this guy. It's a tough matchup in Herbert Burns, which we'll get to in a second. But I love the buildup, uh, you know, uh, Kozelnik saying stuff in Russian, like, strange guy. And uh, I forget. Uh, <laughs> and, like, it's this whole thing, and they translate it. And then it just goes to Nate Landwehr, who's just sitting there with his big, like, obnoxious yellow Ray-Bans. And he just goes, fuck you, Victor. <laughs> Oh, it was great. Nate Lam- Nate the Train. Nate the Train. Oh, yo. Yeah, he's fucking... Oh, it's fucking great. Comes out to... There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. And then it... Uh, that, that intro that he comes out to, like, shouts to Rocky Four. Like, who comes out to that song? Like, I always gave Gustafson props because he came out with a training montage, which is, like, low-key my favorite workout song from the Rocky series. And I'm like, cool, everyone comes out to fucking, you know... Speaking of JDS or Matt Sarah, right? Like, everyone comes out to the Rocky theme, right? Like, no, come out to the other ones. Like, uh, would love someone to come out to uh, Hearts on Fire. But no, he comes out to, and I hope he does it. And I hope they show it because it's on ESPN+. Plus. But uh, he came out to No Easy Way Out. Can't remember who the singer is, but uh, some fucking random 80s shit. But uh, it, I ended up putting it on, like, YouTube. And YouTube will, like, you know, send you down a rabbit hole, right? Of, like, Rocky stuff. And I was watching, like, they, they, they went to the training scenes, uh, training montage to Hearts on Fire. Kind of, It's almost back-to-back even in the movie. And I'm noticing, I'm like, damn, I'm like, for one, and the No Easy Way Out one, when he's, like, thinking about Apollo, he's cruising around in the uh, Lambo. And I love it because it's got the, that 80s style where, like, the, the, the lights pop up in the front. Like, they turn on, like, a, like, like eyes opening up, like eyelids. And his his license plate was Southpaw, S-O-T-H-P-A-W. I didn't recognize that. But what I also didn't realize is that everyone talks about Rocky IV, like, going to fight the Russians. And that makes sense because back to Nate Land, where, like, he mopped up Russians, went undefeated in M1, won and defended titles. And if you defend, as he said, excellent interview, by the way. Go subscribe to the Square MMA. Excellent interview, as per usual, with James Lynch interviews. Uh... Landwehr was explaining you need two title defenses before you go over to UFC. And anyway, so Rocky, everyone's like, oh, Rocky, going over to Russia. We don't talk about Rocky Four. Everyone talks about going over to Russia. Like, dude, Rocky didn't have any sparring partners for that camp. Like, what the fuck, yo? 
<laughs> I know I'm thinking way too seriously about it. Like, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't fight Burt Ward or anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, who the hell was he sparring with? Like, that's the most impressive part about the Drago win. Is Rocky didn't even have training. But, Dan, what are we breaking down here? I thought we were breaking down Rally, not Rocky Four. I'm sorry, guys. It's late. I've been drinking Cokes all night. I just finished my last one. Thank God. I need to stop fucking buying these things. God damn it. But, man, no, I'm a big fan of Landwehr. And um, it's tough. You Again, this is another matchup. You could argue one. each guy is the antithesis for the other, you know? Who's going to take out Landwehr? Maybe it is a submission guy. Uh, although I think it could be a guy with devastating right hand because Landwehr does get hit with some right hands, although he does like himself to counter. Um, however, Landwehr's got some good wrestling because he's been wrestling since a youth, wrestled high school, some high school accolades. I believe wrestled a bit, wrestled a bit collegiately. And it shows, man, but he's more like the uh, Justin Gaethje type. He just wants to pressure forward. Which is what you got to do if you want to defend takedowns. Is pressure forward. You can't get your back to the fence. That's where uh, Herbert Burns is going to get most of his takedowns, by the way. Even though he's got a good level change in the open. He still generally will use that to push guys toward the fence. where he gets most of his work done. It's where he is able to cement uh, Timothy Nastyukin. Uh, which, by the way, like Herbert Burns, both his wins and losses have aged pretty well. Um, you know, Isradov and uh, the other Russian cat, I believe. Uh, not too shabby as far as those losses go. But I think the common thread is, and even though he has won a decision or even gotten a third-round submission, I believe, the common thread is Burns tends to get stuff done earlier, generally, at least at the higher level, has seemed to struggle in those later rounds, where even though I think, spoiler alert, we get a first-round knockout from Landwehr via uppercut, Landwehr's also shown that he can take adversity, high pace, because he sets a ridiculously stupid pace, and it's almost like he's okay with sacrificing his body because he knows that his opponent he's going to come out way better than his opponent is out of out of the mess. They're going to be more tired, and then his power is still going to be there because Landwehr's power still shows to be there. Landwehr's gone the five rounds before, won the five rounds. So even if he doesn't get it done early, I feel like he's going to have a lot of advantages late. So I like Landwehr either way. He's playable for the money line, but I'm just nervous because it's his debut, despite him also facing a fellow debuter in Burns. But I just feel like if you look at, especially like even like Burns' last three fights, even though he's submitting guys, like he's getting rocked in almost every fight. And I feel like he's going to have to pay the piper in that regard. You know, Landwehr's already had his decision and submission prospect losses. And again, I think his bad matchup will come in the form of striking to kind of round that out and eventually give him his first stoppage loss. But like he said, he's got the chin, he's got the heart, and I don't see him going anywhere from the start. So I'm actually going to take Nate Landwehr because I believe that a pressure wrestler who can swing is was is the bad matchup, uh, is more the writing on the wall bad matchup of the two. That's It screams louder for Burns, and what it screams is what I believe Landwehr brings. So I'll take Landwehr here. I'm not going to tell you to run out and play it. But when I did see that by KO was plus 382, 382, I sprinkled a quarter unit on that. I may play the money line as well just to kind of hedge that out um, in case he doesn't get the knockout because I think he can win the decision. I think he only loses by submission unless Burns submits this guy, which he totally can. Then um, I think Landward's going to win it by either knockout or decision. All right, folks, recapping from, we'll go UFC to Bellator so I can scroll from top to bottom, okay? Taking Blades over Dos Santos. Taking 
Dos Anjos over Chiesa. Chiesa come on table. Taking Perez over Espinoza. Taking Angela Hill over Hannah Cyphers. Taking Jamal, Jamal Hill over Darko Stosek. Taking Bevon Lewis over Dequan Townsend. Taking Arnold Allen over Nick Lentz. Taking Lucia Pujlova over Justine Keish Merrick. Taking Montel Jackson over Felipe Corrales. Taking Sarah McMahon over Lena Landsberg. And taking Tony... No, taking Brett Johns over Tony Gravely. Taking Nate Landver over Herbert Burns. I'm pretty sure I took all favorites, at least according to opening odds. Boring, I know. All right, going down to Bellator. Taking Chris Cyborg over Julia Budd, albeit the value's on Bud there, folks. Sprinkle, sprinkle. Taking Adam Borix over Darian Caldwell. Taking Sergio Pettis over Alfred Kaskashakarian. Taking Juan Archuleta over Henry Corrales. Taking Raymond Daniels over Jason King. Taking Ava Knight over Emily Gitas. Parlay, RDA, Perez, and Allen, all at pretty much minus 260. You put all three together, you're in the neighborhood of like plus 151-ish. Put a unit on that. Parlayed for the Bellator faves on the main card outside of uh, the top two fights for plus 270. Parlayed my five favorites main card picks for the UFC card for uh, in the neighborhood of a plus 550, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, straight plays took Borix at plus 105, put 0.75 units on him. Uh, perhaps a sprinkle on Bud, perhaps even a sprinkle on an avoid list, which would be a no no if Johns goes to an underdog. Um, but that's it there. Props RDA inside the distance, minus 160, half a unit. Landward by KO, plus 382, quarter unit sprinkle. May throw something on the money line, we'll see. Um, may go degen for Blades round four plus thirteen fifty just for some fun if the night's going well. Uh, avoid list: Stosic Hill, Townsend Lewis, Keish Pujalova, Gravely Johns. Thank you guys. It was, we got a lot done uh, in the episode. Uh, again, go to mixedmarshalanalyst.com uh, for the audit click-throughs if you are into audit. Uh, PayPal donation. Again, everything goes back to the podcast. I hate plugging that, but thank you guys. Thank you for the kind words and everything else in between. Um, if you don't even have to really donate, folks. You know the best thing you can do is share or give a shout to the podcast. It does more than you know. It helps so much. Or what's also free is five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. It helps uh, very, very much. So thank you, folks. We'll be back next week. I'll either touch base with you guys or I'll do a top five. Again, I may be swapping out some hardware, so I may legit. I'm still debating on whether or not I want to book a top five for next week, but they are coming. I already started that thread. Join that thread. It's not too late on my Twitter at DantonMMA. Suggest your top fives there. We are bringing more in 2020. Uh, no excuses. Appreciate you. Good luck on your picks and plays this weekend. And always protect the honest.